Welcome to the Two Minute Time Lord Podcast, episode 452. I'm Chip Sutterth, and it's been a while. When last we spoke, the last episode of Series 12 had just aired, and things were starting to get kind of stressful out in the real world, so I took a little bit of time away. We're coming back with a time dilation episode. This is a long one. An interview with Graham Burke, a longtime friend, co-author with Robert Smith of Who is the Doctor 2, which has just recently been out. He and I talked about the book, about being a slow-cooking critic in a world of hot takes, and what it's like interacting with Doctor Who in the time of staying at home. Graham, long, long, long ago, we talked about who is the Doctor. Just who is the Doctor. It wasn't called one at the time. That would be like uh, the Gilligan and the Castaways finding the wreckage of the Minnow One in Return to Gilligan's Island, uh, which is yeah, that bothered me wrong. too as a as a nine year old. I have to say, Gilligan's Island wasn't much for excellent timey wimey uh, paradoxes. Let's just put it that way. But anyway. Long ago on 2MTL, we talked about who is the Doctor 1, uh, and now we are at who is the Doctor 2. We've got Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi, and Jodie Whittaker silhouetted on the cover. It just feels like an entirely different time for Doctor Who than when the last book came out. What's different in what you and Robert encountered as you were doing this deep dive into uh, a whole bunch of new series? That's a great question. I, I think the thing that changed between the two books is the 50th anniversary. And I think the 50th anniversary is sort of the apex of sort of Doctor Who's journey into excitement, <laughs> I think, in some ways. The book came out in 2012. Uh, you know, Series 6 had just ended. We even had a debate with with her editor about whether or not we were going to stick a, the review of Do Dr. Widow in the wardrobe in the book even, but, and we said no. You know, and we were sort of all getting kind of excited about the 50th anniversary. And the next book that we did was about was a 50th anniversary theme book. Mm -hmm. The 50th anniversary happened, came and went, and and suddenly we had a new doctor, and then we had Jodie Whittaker, and but you know, I think I think the sort of peak of the excitement about Doctor Who kind of has subsided a bit, and and I think it's a very kind of a little bit of a different world we live in. And, and I remember when I even approached my publisher about doing this book, they sort of said to me, you know, in our experience, you know, the second or third book in a series, you know, the interest in it starts to tail off because, and they found this, they found this with their Lost and Buffy books and, and other books. And, and, and so, you know, it's a sort of a natural to the life cycle of a television show. And, and I'm kind of, uh, it's an exciting journey though, uh, to actually go start this book at the Dr. Wood and the Wardrobe and then to end it at Resolution and to sort of go, oh my God, this is all the same TV program. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that, uh, you and Robert made a point of, uh, when you were on Radio Free Scarrow last month was that it's kind of nice to not be ending a book with the end of a doctor and beginning the next book with the beginning of a new doctor. It's a, uh, this is a process. Doctor Who is a continuing thing and there are no clean breaks. 
No, and and that was that was the problem we had with the book was that was that we kept on changing the end date, and for a long time the book was going to end with Capaldi. Had we not had as sort of historic a change in Doctor as we had after after Peter Capaldi left, we, the plan was to actually do this up until to make the last entry, the the Peter Capaldi regeneration story, whatever that would have been, and it was only when we sort of you know I had to go back to the publisher and say. To have the first woman doctor uh, be there and to be putting out a book with Peter Capaldi's silhouette on the front cover only, uh, it really is not a good look. <laughs> and so that's how we managed to get in Series 11 um, as a result. 384 pages, deep, deep dives into every episode, or more properly, every story, because you take the two-parters as a unit for yeah, uh for the, the most most part. Part. for the most part um you're definitely not treating uh the extremist pyramid at the end of the world lie of the land as a single unit and we're going to talk about that for sure uh but it almost feels like a lost art to have that much of a deep dive and sort of a thoughtful dive in book form when it's not just tweeted out references, but there are infinitely re-edited wiki pages out there. This is considered. This is this is slow cooker criticism. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it, it's funny because I, I think the one thing I dreaded the most about uh, series eleven was what I called. Uh, Hot Take Monday, um, because the episode would air on Sunday, and then the next day, <laughs> everyone had their own hot take on what was going on with Doctor Who and what was going wrong with Doctor Who usually. And it became almost a, a clenching in my stomach happened with the advent of Hot Take Monday, because I just because I was just like, no one's sort of sitting with this and thinking about it and, and taking the sort of time to just journey with it. Everyone's trying to be first across the finish line with with their own great hot take. And so doing this book was was in some ways quite therapeutic. We really did the meat of the book, I think, mostly sort of uh, last in twenty eight in twenty eighteen around the time that uh, around the time that series eleven was airing and then 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 several months afterward. So it felt very therapeutic to actually sort of do the time to actually do the more reasonable a thoughtful considered take on what was going on and to, and 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 I I think that's one of the things I love about the book is that there's sort of the review of uh World Enough and Time and and the Doctor Falls or my review of it and and Robert's review too. I mean Robert loved the story and I I had real real problems with it. And I think it was it was it benefited from the time and distance away from the story to sort of Think about well, what's right and what's wrong with this story, and what is this saying about about Doctor Who in general? So, yeah, yeah. You and Robert do something very well that I have never been very good at when it comes to criticism or even just sort of I don't know fandom interaction when it comes to taking a look at stories and evaluating them and whether we like them or not. You and Robert are not at all hesitant to call each other's takes BS. <laughs> With a few exceptions, the doctor's daughter being the one that leaps to my mind immediately, I have difficulty just saying this is a crap episode. I always default to emphasizing the subjective and saying I didn't like it. This is why I didn't like it. 
it's refreshing and anxiety inducing simultaneously seeing you and Robert go after each other about how <laughs> wrong each other is. And yet there's no ill will obviously there. The other is clearly wrong and that's just a fact and you all move on. <laughs> it's, I think, the safety of, of knowing someone for God, how long have I known Robert? I've known Robert for almost 25 years. Um, so, so. Yeah, actually, this October, I'll have known him for 25 years. That's scary. Uh, so, yeah, we. I think it's just the sort of security that that brings is 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 that Robert's a friend and Doctor Who's been sort of a, a big part of our friendship for, for, for decades. And so as a result, there's a sort of, sort of degree of safety that we know that, you know, that we know at the end of the day, no matter what, what our opinion is and no matter how wrong it is, we, we're going to love each other and we're going to, you know, in that sort of way that we don't talk about loving each other um, because that's the kind of friendship we have. But it's the sort of, but yeah, we, we have all kind of just sort of respect for each other and a respect for each other's opinions. And we both came out of 90s internet culture, which was kind of the Wild West. And, and there was a certain degree of you just had a certain self-assuredness about who you were and what you had. You could almost say arrogance too, I suppose. But I think to a certain extent, we came out of it kind of with that, with that sort of inbuilt in us. And so between the two, I think we're, we're pretty good. I mean, I mean, the other th thing is that we love Doctor Who. I mean, we, we start the book, both, we've started every single book by saying that we believe that Doctor Who is the greatest television program in the world. And we still mean that. And, I think even if we don't like a story, even if we don't think an execution of a story is good, at the end of the day, we still love Doctor Who. And there's nothing that's going to change our love for Doctor Who. You know, there are things maybe we'd like them to do differently. There are things we'd like them to do better. But at the end of the day, Doctor Who is still great. And I think that's where we come in. And that's how, and that's sort of, I think that's sort of a large chunk of the trick. I remember during series 11, how, anxious I got when good friends of mine would share on social media on Hot Take Monday <laughs> why an episode in Series 11 stinked or why it didn't. And they weren't going after each other so much as just stating the fact that this is awful. This is irredeemable. This is bad writing. Or this is fantastic. I loved it. This is good writing. And I'm sitting here going, why are mom and dad fighting? And by contrast, I don't get the same feeling when you and Robert go after each other over The Magician's Apprentice and The Witch is Familiar, in which you not only have the first take and then the second opinion, but there's a third opinion. And then there's a fourth opinion. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. there's howitzers. <laughs> Robert really can't get over the fact that I don't like Genesis of the Daleks. So <laughs> really, really can't get over it. I think part of the problem in fandom in general is something I talk about in, of all things, my review of Time Heist, which is that I, I think that there has developed over, I'd say, I don't know. I and it may have been in fandom in 2005, but it certainly has really developed over the past over the past, you know, 15 years is a sort of expectation that every episode be super awesome, excellent. And that, you know, I want this episode to be super awesome, excellent, amazing. And and every episode can't be super awesome, excellent, amazing. 
A lot of episodes can just be entertaining. And there's no sin in a television program that has to accomplish so much and has to do all these things to actually get produced and and get made. And for it to be entertaining, frankly, that's a high bar to cross. (laughs) And I think the problem I feel Doctor Who fans sometimes have is that they want every story to be Pyramids of Mars. And the fact is, is that Pyramids of Mars isn't Pyramids of Mars, frankly. I think that, you know, you can take apart the logic of, of Pyramids of Mars in about 25 seconds. It's, it's, it's very joyless, but, you know, it, you know there is, ha- just happens to be a, an archaeological expedition that just happens to come across a tomb of a Osiren demigod that isn't actually on Earth, but it happens to be on Mars. So they take everything to Britain, and there's somehow uh, an Egyptian guy playing an organ all the time. And the brother of the archaeologist just happens to be someone who's experimenting on a radio telescope about 50 years before it was invented. That's just 10 minutes into episode one. <laughs> Pyramids of Mars is the greatest Doctor Who story ever made. I love Pyramids of Mars. But the fact is, is that every Doctor Who story can be, can be pulled apart. And I think that the culture has kind of, they want the highs so bad that, and so they sort of, I feel like sometimes they see the not highs as just lows when in fact, it's just entertaining. You know, the vast majority of Doctor Who is just entertaining. (laughs) The vast majority of Doctor Who, believe me, I do a feature on my podcast called Gallery of the Underrated, where we have to go look through the, look through the scores in the Doctor Who magazine 15th anniversary poll. The vast majority of stories are in the sort of, you know, seven out of 10, you know, to the seven out of 10 range. It's not, you know, that's the sort of, that's the sort of middle six to seven out of 10. We need to we need to be more forgiving of that. We need to in, enjoy and revel in that more than the, and and not get so angry that it's not super awesome, amazing, excellent. If you'll indulge me, let's get into the mind of the critic a little bit uh, and talk about one of those episodes where there's a gap between the received fan wisdom and, in your case, you and Robert. Uh, had some interesting things to say about an episode that I dearly love and a lot of people just hate, and that's Extremis in Series 10. The AI, I don't remember how the AI was, but the fan polls, it wasn't up there. Some of our friends, uh, I'm thinking about uh, Stephen Schapansky at Radio Free Scar, in particular, just absolutely loathe Extremis. Let's pick this one because it's it's not a tentpole episode, although it probably tried to be more for the episodes that followed. But what did you think about Extremis? What did Robert think about it? And how do you look at it differently from other folks out there? Uh, Robert's review, as I recall, was he liked it. He felt that what it was going to do to the ongoing arcs were terrible. And he's not wrong. Uh, he, he raised the very valid point that revealing that Missy was in the vault is the most rote <laughs> Yeah, thing imaginable, and how cool, much cooler it would have been had Bill's mum been in the vault, for for example. Um, but we wouldn't have had all of those great uh, fan videos, <laughs> uh, fan video happy exactly. hour between exactly uh, twelve and exactly. Missy. But he but he points out that you know so much of it works, and and that and that it really has a great kind of 
that the sort of sort of everything in the story kind of works. Even this, even the Master Missy stuff really works. So uh, my take on it was to approach it uh, because because I knew I was going to be very critical of of World Enough and Time and the Doctor Falls and, and Twice Upon a Time. That I knew that I wanted at some point to talk about. Stephen Moffat's career on Doctor Who. And so I used that review as my place. I used his anti-penultimate story, um, which is a word. <laughs> I had to look it up. Um, and to actually sort of use that as my focus. And so, you know, I because I think that story sort of shows what's right and what's wrong with Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who. I, I think on the one hand, I think you have... Uh, an intriguing mystery at the heart of it. I think the relationships between men and women kind of has have a crackle, and you have that with the Doctor and Missy here. There are just great jokes. There's all kinds of things that fire. There are all kinds of things, though, that show, uh, you know, that, that there's also problems, too, I think, shown in that story that, that I think are emblematic of the whole era. I think there's an occasional tone deafness to the world around Doctor Who. So on the one hand, the the pre-credit sequence is hilarious with the Pope coming out and, and scaring off Bill's date. But on the other hand, on the, uh, on the other hand, it's, it's a bit, it's, it's, he's scaring off it, her date who is having a crisis of faith and identity. Yeah. It's, it's so it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of a bit tone deaf and it's kind of like, well, does every gay character need to have a, crisis of identity <laughs> because you know like it, it, it's kind of you know how how very how very 90s so you know there's that i think the sort of implications for the story arc is is that i don't think moffat did story arcs consistently um in his in his era so i think there's there i think i think it's emblematic of what's right and what's wrong so much and i really enjoyed it i mean i also just enjoyed the fact that it, it was the doctor a doctor who take on the da vinci code <laughs> And and I loved it, and I, and I thought the monks were really cool, and I think the monks would have been so much cooler had had Stephen Shapansky's idea that they're actually secretly Mondasian Cybermen would have been actually you know without without the uh, covering was would have been actually followed through. Um, sadly, but uh, but it was but nonetheless they were su- suitably menacing, and and I liked and I love the I, I love the twist that the, the story was in a simulation. Um, so you know it starts as the Da Vinci Code and then ends in the Matrix. <laughs> you know this is this is everything I love about Doctor Who. <laughs> One of the things that I love about it is that it is a story about the Doctor. It is a story that reveals something about the Doctor's character, even when the major protagonist in the story turns out not to actually be the Doctor. The simulated Doctor behaves like the Doctor, breaks the rules like the Doctor, sends an email out of the simulation in, in, in just... Uh, such a doctorish way. I wouldn't call it one of those episodes that I would give to somebody new to Doctor Who. Uh, you know, all those arguments about whether Blink's a good introduction to the show or not. It, this is certainly not that, but you ask me who the Doctor is, this simulation tells me in one episode in just a really powerful way. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember watching this with my wife and and she was, uh, she is definitely a casual fan and she kind of started to tail off during the Capaldi era, I have to admit. But the, this was the one that actually caught her attention, I have to say. I, I think uh, in spite of the fact that, you know, it, it is very dense in the sort of mythology and it's very dense, you know, you have, you know, you have to kind of know the Doctor and Missy's relationship and you have to, you know, there's, 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 and the vault and there's all kinds of things you could know. But, but the fact is, is that at the end of the day, I mean, 
my wife Julie's watched the Da Vinci Code and the Matrix and loves both. And 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 so I think I, I she she found that really great. She loved the bits in CERN. She loved you know. So it's interesting. So it was interesting to me to sort of see how how it played with her. It's certainly I, I think of most of the stories that season. It was the one that I think landed with her the most aside from thin ice i think um so yeah i feel sort of a gap between the 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 considered take and the hot take even when the considered takes are uh are are different takes and you and robert are in different places all the time um there's a difference between a story bouncing off of you and a story being evaluated and we're all spending a lot more time at home now I think that this is a good time for slow cooker evaluations of episodes, not just binging series, but evaluate, taking the time to evaluate what we've been watching. And that's one of the reasons why I really appreciate books like Who is the Doctor? Because you're diving in and you're considering everything that's on the screen and in the script thoughtfully. This this is a perfect time for that. Yeah, no, it is. It really is. I, I think uh, I, I've been actually watching a lot of uh, Patrick Troughton lately um, because uh, I'm not really doing the pilgrimage because I'm because that would require watching Telesnap reconstructions, which I will not do. But, but I but I, I I am but I am going through you know what's extant on Brickbox and occasionally you know finding finding ones with animated episodes that aren't on Brickbox. And, and that's sort of what I'm doing. And I'm enjoying the kind of just, yeah, I'm going to take, I'm going to take my time and just go through this and sort of, sort of be with this and, and not sort of, you know, it's kind of not, it's not really a binge watch because I'm just, because I'm just sort of, you know, I'm just sort of doing it as I do it. And, and I'm sort of, and it's nice because, because it's the first time I've really kind of watched uh, watch Troughton in situ, sort of, sort of in a row, and and so I'm I'm just enjoying the kind of, I'm just enjoying kind of spending the time uh, with the Doctor. It's it's and spending time with Patrick Troughton's Doctor and spending time with, with with the 1960s and not really being in a giant hurry to to get to the to get to the 70s in any time time soon. So yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think I think this is the perfect time for that kind of. Uh, that kind of slow cooking of, of of opinion, right? Now, engaging with Doctor Who and engaging with Doctor Who fandom is obviously not all about the show and not all about thinking about the show. It's having conversations about the show, and you know, over the years, uh, you've been at the center of so much with uh, Dwin and conventions and engaging in rapier fights on <laughs> Usenet. And um, so being a part of a fandom community really feels different all of a sudden over the last month. And I was curious, you know, I'm, you know, I'm finding myself so busy with my day job that I've, you know, hundreds and hundreds of tweets are going by that I'm just having to declare amnesty on. <laughs> um, how are you doing fandom these days? Um, what's, What's changed, and are, are you trying to stay? Are you trying to stay connected with the the world of the people who've embraced Doctor Who, or is this a more solitary time now? It's a bit of both. Uh, I've been really enjoying the tweet-alongs. I have to say, um, Emily Cook uh, deserves a medal, or you know, 
a character options TARDIS or something. Uh, for She is worthy of the diamond logo. Yes, she is. She is indeed. So, uh, because I've been really, you know, I, I've really enjoyed those. I have to say that, you know, I don't participate in all of them because like you, they're, you know, if they're doing something on a Tuesday at three o'clock in the afternoon, no, I'm, even if I'm working at home, I'm probably not going to be, I'm probably not going to stop everything to go, to go watch something. But, but sometimes I do. And, and, and I have to say, you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun because, and it's not just fun just to sort of watch, you know, be able to see, you know, Moffat or or Russell Davies sort of pop pop up all all of a sudden and 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 tweet because that is that is definitely fun. But it's also just I'm also just enjoying the engagement with the fans. Like I did the I would watch the Doctor's Wife. Uh, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman had some things to say. It was interesting, but it wasn't you know, but it wasn't anything I hadn't heard before. But but what I did love was watching the story and talking about it and talking about, you know, talking about, you know, my love of, you know, my love of the scene when they go back to the console, the original the console room from, from the Eccleston era or, or the, or, you know, the, just, just the elements of the story. And, 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 and it was a lot of fun because I hadn't watched the doctor. I hadn't watched the doctor's wife in years. So to actually sort of come back to it kind of, kind of, and I've been enjoying that. I've been enjoying that a lot. And even when I don't get to see the story, I try to just sort of peek in on what, what's been, what people are talking about. And and I find I find that on the whole, fans are coming to this with a lot of enthusiasm, which is which is which is great. Um, and I'm looking for, and I hear that they're going to be doing a, a Capaldi story soon, and and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to doing a, a Whitaker story. You know, I I'm sure there are people who are butthurt about all kinds of things in, Doc, in Doctor Who fandom right now. I know of several of them um, personally and just by reading the internet. But but on the other hand, I think there's a lot going on that sort of is 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 fun. And, and I'm glad that people are trying to do things to embrace people's enthusiasm. And I'm glad and it's nice to see Russell Davies and it's nice to see Stephen Moffat and Neil Gaiman and others sort of say, hey, you know what? This would be fun during this time. Um, why not? It's definitely helping us feel connected yeah. to something uh, at a time when uh, at a time when it's hard to get out of the house. No, exactly, and I'm I'm enjoying that kind of that kind of diversion in some ways. Um, to use a non Doctor Who example, uh, something I'm really enjoying because secretly I'm a fan of Little House on the Prairie, folks. I'm not going to be apologetic about that. Um, I used to love the show as a kid. And, and uh, anyways, Alison Arngrim, who played uh, Nellie in that show, is uh, is reading the Little House books by Laura Ingalls Wilder. Um, and she puts on a bonnet when she reads it. And she's gotten a couple of other stars from the show to go read other books. And and I have to say, you know, she does this on Facebook Live. And periodically, you know, I, I go on and, and listen. And you know what? It's fun as hell. And and it's not, and it's just it's nice as a nice kind of community building thing. And I and I, I think the tweet alongs are directly analogous. It, it's this sort of this sort of you know uh, bonding over 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 favorite Doctor Who that we like and and sort of. And it's nice um, because I think because I think we've also had this sort of time and distance away from these stories to sort of you know kind of appreciate them in a new light. Like like the Doctor's wife had a lot of baggage attached to it, but based on the fact it was and even in our review on Who's a Doctor, I noted this. It was the it was the Neil Gaiman story, capital N, capital G, capital S. Uh, you know, and 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 so now you can watch it, and it's not quite so much the Neil Gaiman story anymore. It's a, it's a it's a it's a really kind of cool Doctor Who story, and and I'm really you know, um, but at the same time you can also watch it and say, hey, look, I can see how that played out in Good Omens and all that. You know, 
I can see sort of echoes of, you know, things Neil does later in, in, in other works. So, you know, that's a lot of fun. And, and I'm glad that, I'm glad that we've got that kind of community that's, that's willing and able to enjoy it like that. Graham, one last observation. At the time of recording, two hours ago, you updated your profile picture on Facebook, <laughs> and you have a magnificent COVID beard. Thank you. <laughs> it makes you look professorial, and I think that that is absolutely perfect for one of the two authors of a really, really exhaustive tome about uh, about uh, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, five seasons of Doctor Who. Uh, will you have this? beard uh when you do when you and robert do the next volume i feel it unlikely um i am doing this this beard is being grown uh without sanction from my management uh which is my, which is which is my wife um and um, i'm doing this because right now I'm, I'm i'm living in toronto while she's living in ottawa and uh and so when all this covid stuff came down uh, there, there were just various familial issues that that meant uh, that she needed to she needed to attend to things in ottawa and i'm staying down here so as a result, I'm just on my own. <laughs> and so I felt like, well, I can't, well, I'm not going to the office anymore. Uh, Julie's in Ottawa. I might as well grow a beard. Uh, but I have to say that um, I, I am, uh, I, I, I have not received, uh, I have not received official sanction for this. So this may be going, this may be coming, being cut off the, the first day back to work or the first day that I, that I, that I see my wife. And that's cool. Um, no. I, I, I am, however, going to be clipping out your saying that it's magnificent and, and emailing my wife the audio file. So, so because, because all good endorsements are helpful. Well, there you go. I just think it's a really good author photo beard. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm... Graham Burke, co-author with Robert Smith of Who is the Doctor 2? Cataloging Series 7 through 11 of Doctor Who. Three doctors, two highly opinionated, highly educated authors, one eternal franchise. That's a good way of putting it. Thank you very much. Graham, along with Joy Piedmont, produces the Reality Bomb Podcast at realitybombpodcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at numeral 2 Minute Time Lord and more episodes of the 2 Minute Time Lord Podcast at TWO Minute Time Lord.com. Thanks. It's good to be back.